How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Locked on NBA draft coverage continues. Huge thank you to all of you. The numbers have been astronomical for the last week or two of NBA draft coverage, and I really, really appreciate it. I also have got to thank the people that have been on board with us from the very beginning. Uh, those people include Larson Digital.com. They are a fabulous company that converts any old media to digital, such as videotapes, movie films, slides, negatives, photos, audio tapes, and audio reels, they will do a 25% off movie film and videotape transfers to digital for you if you go to larsendigital.com slash lock to Utah MBA online utah mba online which is a fabulous program if you're looking to take the next step in your career even though you have a family and you're traveling at work and it schedules nuts they have a highly flexible online mba program that gives you the same diploma as the on-campus mba students visit utah mba online.com 801-587-8870 and of course to seek geek download the app and use the promo code locked if you'd like to advertise on the program Email me directly at dlock09 at gmail.com. That's dlock09 at gmail.com. Locked on NBA is part of the Locked on Podcast Network. There are new podcasts out. Locked on Bulls has debuted. Locked on Magic has debuted. Locked on Pelicans is right around the corner. And great stuff on Locked on Golf. Check it all out. Subscribe to them all. It's all part of the Locked on Podcast Network. NBA draft coverage continues. I will be in New York starting Tuesday. If you want day-to-day updates, go to Locked on Jazz. That's my daily podcast, largely focused on the Jazz, but I'll cover the entire draft on that. So even if you're a national fan, not a Jazz fan, we'll service you there, I promise. Uh, But Locked on NBA today, we're going to do the numbers. We've done the video with Mike Schmitz at Draft Express. We've done the theories and philosophies of it with Chad Ford. Then we did part two with Chad Ford on how the draft's going to break. And today we do the numbers with ESPN's Kevin Pelton. Very excited to have Kevin aboard. KP, how are you? I'm good. Uh, excited to make this transition to the draft after covering the finals. You arrived at whole. You arrived at. You left what about eight o'clock this morning, and now it's time. Uh, it was a little later than that. It was. It was more like three. My flight out. Oh, you. Oh, you decided to cherish it. All right. I won't. I won't ask about how late. How late you had to stay. <laughs> uh, and what happened? No comment. And, and whether you went to Vegas on a team flight and wore warrior, uh, warrior strong T-shirts. Uh, all right. Let's let's get into it. Uh, just first off, you've done a bunch of number stuff. Uh, your sister account, 538, did a bunch of number stuff. Uh, there seems to be more analytical work being done this year at ESPN, at least, than, than other places. Uh, give me a little bit of what you're feeling on, on, and where, you know, what's different, what's new, what's evolved here. 
Well, I think the first thing I'd start out with is usually you uh, begin your Locked On NBA podcast by asking people what they believe in. And when it comes to the draft, what I believe in is that the combination of statistical analysis and scouting is much more powerful than either of those alone. And I think you can show this empirically. Uh, Last year, uh, for a piece I did with Chad Ford, you know, we went through and looked at guys who were drafted in, in the top 10 who were also in the top 10 of my statistical warp projections and then also looked at guys who were in the top 10 in the projections but weren't drafted in the top 10 and then guys who were drafted in the top 10 who didn't rate as well statistically. And you look at those latter two groups, you know, there's some hits, there's some misses, there's some wins and losses, I think, for both sides, but the results are very mixed. When you look at the guys who both rated well statistically and the scouts liked, that's where you tend to see the most success. That's where the superstars almost always come from. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's kind of a big thing that has informed a lot of my analysis. And, and you see that as well. You mentioned uh, the ESPN analytics projections, which last year ran on 538. This year they, they were on ESPN.com itself. And uh, same thing where they incorporate, both of us incorporate where players rank on Chad's big board to kind of, uh, assess, you know, that scouting perspective. All right. Well, I have a bunch of other questions, but I think people are dying right now. Who are those players this year that match in both categories? Well, that's a phenomenal question because it turns out that there are m- many fewer players that uh, have that kind of carryover this year than there normally are. In fact, the only two guys who qualify are Ben Simmons and Dragan Bender. Although you can, you can, there's wiggle room to get, put Brandon Ingram in there. He's he's 11th in the stats only projections. All right, so uh, you've taken me a little off cue of where I want to go. Uh, but I, I'm, I can handle it, I think. I'm showing some versatility. The game's about versatility now. So in the conversation I had with Chad in uh, on Locked on NBA that was posted uh, on Monday, it's still available for anyone who wants to go listen to it, Chad said that your the biggest thing that he's taken from your work is there's a breaking point. There's a point where if players are under a certain level that they just don't pan out. Can you elaborate on that? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, something that that a lot of GMs tend to believe, I don't necessarily believe this as much myself, is that the statistical projections are more useful for identifying guys who are going to be busts than they are for identifying players who are undervalued. I tend to think, uh, going back to that, that those two lists we compiled that, you know, it's about equally useful at both of those. But uh, definitely, I think, you know, when a guy performs really poorly, which is which is really what we're talking about. I mean, sometimes... You know, another point I like to make is sometimes we act like this is, you know, some sort of uh, entirely different way to view the game. And and I don't think it's so much of that necessarily. Like there are some factors that translate better. We know rebounding translates really well to the NBA. Steals are an important indicator, more so, I think, than, than most people would acknowledge. But really, oftentimes we're talking about is the difference between guys who have produced well relative to their age, which is what I'm trying to measure, and guys who have, you know, physical tools or potential, quote unquote, those that's the difference. So it's not like, you know, uh, in this case, this year it's a little bit different because I think some of the guys who rate well are not necessarily the the best players in the country. But you know, someone like Denzel Valentine uh, had the the best translations of anyone based just on his senior year. Well, it's not like a secret to anyone. Denzel Valentine nearly won Player of the Year until Buddy Heald went nuts and he got injured midseason. So. It's really just kind of focusing on production in, instead of physical tools. And I don't, now I'm not sure I answered your question. All right. Now let me, let, all right. We, we're into the meat of the book. 
uh, right now. But let's step back and pretend that we're reading the Amazon reviews of your past year's work. Why should anyone who might be a little bit of a cynic to the numbers or not really believe analytics in the draft, why, what, what's the past track record that says I should believe anything you're saying? Well, again, I start with you know, that, uh, that overall track record that uh, the guys who come out well in both are better. Uh, when, in, when it's someone who you know, is favored statist- uh, simply by the statistics, the track record is a little more mixed. But there are, you know, there have definitely been some big hits in the second round. And, uh, you know, I think the 2000, I, I guess this was 2012 now draft was a good example of that, where, uh, Jay Crowder and Draymond Green were both guys who were in the top 10 of my projections slipped to the second round and, you know, now have become two of the better players in that draft. Uh, more recently, I think, you know, one of the really successful things, uh, not everyone does, uh, projections for international players. The, uh, ESPN analytics projections are strictly for, for NCAA prospects. And those have, I think, been really interesting the last few years because they've pegged a lot of international big men in particular, guys like uh, Clint Capella, Yusuf Nurkic, Nikola Jokic is uh, undervalued by where they were going in the draft, and those guys have generally played pretty well in the NBA. On that note, you had Dragan Bender as one of the two players that is showing up as good in both. What is it about Bender that the numbers like, and how much do they like him? Well, you start out with age. I mean, uh, as I mentioned, it's all about performance relative to age. And, you know, that's an important indicator, you know, if and he's the youngest guy in this year's draft. So the fact that he was playing competently when you translate his statistics, playing in Israel and then also in the EuroLeague uh, to their NBA equivalent is, you know, really encouraging. And, you know, I, I don't, he's not Chris Daps Porzingis. They're totally different players. And I think it would be unfair to put that expectation on him. But uh, if you're looking for a comparison for where he is in his development, you know, he is the same age as Porzingis was in uh, 2013-14, two years before he came to the NBA. And that was a year where Porzingis was mostly coming off the bench in Spain, like Bender was from Maccabi Tel Aviv in Israel. And uh, their translated statistics were fairly similar at that point. The next year, Porzingis makes a jump and becomes a really good player in Spain. And then a year later, obviously, he's in the NBA. So you mentioned the performance by age. One thing over the years that, at least in my opinion, has been and maybe tipped off by your work is the you know the four-year senior that breaks out in his last year or two is a pretty dangerous pick. Wesley Johnson was a bad pick. Epe Udo was a bad pick. You can run down. There have been quite a few of them. This year we've got a bunch of – we've got a few of these guys. We've got Buddy Heald going on. We've got Chris Dunn going on who's an older player. We have uh, Denzel Valentine who's a older player. What, which of these guys passed the sniff test or which should be Epe Udo, Wesley Johnson type red flags? So I don't think any of them are, are quite at that level of red flag. None of them certainly project as well statistically as, as scouts have them. Uh, Dunn is 19th by the pure stats only version of my projections. Buddy Heald is 28th and uh, Valentine is 20th. So they're, they're all, they score as late first round picks. And, you know, that, that does mean the potential that if you take those guys in the lottery and it turns out that they're, they're only, you know, solid role players, not potential stars, then you could be a little bit disappointed. I don't, I, I, I think one of the things that hurts those guys is that, you know, 
or at least uh, causes them to be overvalued is everyone talks about, oh, okay, these guys are safe picks because, you know, we know what they are. Uh, we, we can see what they do. And even though you're seeing them do a certain thing, it doesn't necessarily translate. And they tend to actually be in many ways less safe than the younger players who uh, what they're doing is more about, you know, their, their ability than it is about their experience. When you mention the idea that Buddy Heald is 28th on your list, I mean, that sounds Wesley Johnson to me. I mean, I think if we look back at Wesley Johnson's career, he's kind of had a career of a late first round draft pick. Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably not even been quite that good when you uh, okay, when you generous, factor. But... Yeah, that was that was maybe a little generous. He, you know, he's gotten a lot better defensively. Last year, he was kind of at that point, but he's probably been below replacement. I think over uh, over the course of things, and you know, his projection was I think substantially more negative by this. I'm I'm trying to scroll through here to see if I can uh, find exactly what it was, but it, he would have been a lot lower than uh, than the 28th. All right. So, do you believe Bender? You... You're saying you don't believe that he's Przingis, but do you believe he's a star? I mean, that's the tough question because I think part of it is can you be a star without creating your own shot at a high level? And the answer to that is probably yes, but it becomes very difficult. He's got, I think, you know, the, the tools to become that kind of player, but, you know, you, you like to bring up the uh, the – which are the guys that are like him? And it's hard to think of a star player who is like what Dragon Bender is, what we know of his skill set. I mean, I think maybe the closest I could think of, is, and it took him a long time to get there, perhaps, it would be maybe Paul Millsap. Interesting. That is not, that's not a comp you hear very often for Bender. I mean, they're physically extremely different, right. but in terms of someone who can shoot the ball is a, is a power forward in, in Millsap's case and probably in Bender's case, then also can put it on the ground and make a play when you close out hard to him. I think that's the combination. And then defensively, what Millsap has become be, developing into an all-defensive type guy, you know, I think, I mean, that's, that's obviously a, a, an upside, a, maybe even a ceiling for Bender, but he, I think he does have those kind of tools. In the uh, Right now we have, I, th- I feel like the draft has Simmons and Ingram kind of in their own realm, and then we're fairly well set through the next eight. I think everyone kind of believes that those eight are Brown, Chris, Dunn, Murray, Bender, and Heald. Uh, it's clear that you think Bender, numbers-wise, is the best pick. Which is the one of those eight that if someone drafts it, their fan base should probably have a little trepidation. Well, I think that would have to be Jalen Brown, who does not rank in the top 100 in the stats-only projections of the 150-some-odd guys I have in my database. And this is, gets back to the question I asked you earlier that you didn't quite answer, which is where Chad said he feels that there's, a, there's some line of demarcation in your rankings. Do you feel that that same line of demarcation is there? And if so, are there other players that are noticeable that are below that? He's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's probably there because, you know, he has a negative projection for his wins above replacement player in the NBA. So to uh, unpack that a little bit, uh, that, that's the measure I like to use in replacement level is kind of what you'd expect from a minimum salary free agent, someone, you know, you'd invite to training camp or sign to a 10 day contract. So to be below that means, you know, you're actively detracting from what your team could go out and sign for the minimum. 
Um, he is projected that poorly because of the fact that he scored so inefficiently at Cal as a freshman, didn't really do a whole lot else to make up for it. So you go then and look at guys who were below replacement uh, as freshmen in, in how they've done in the NBA, and that, that is not a strong group. The, probably the best of those guys is either Festus Azili or Myers Leonard. Uh, some of the other lottery picks were Austin Rivers and then Shabazz Muhammad. I, uh, without watching as much film as I'd like to, have found myself really believing Jamal Murray is is kind of, in my book, the you know the, the player who I think if I was in the teens in this draft, I might try to move up and go get. Uh, am I right? Are there any numbers to back that up? Or am I, is there some deficiencies with his lack of steals uh, and lack of defensive stuff that shows up? Well, uh, you know, I think I would say in among flawed options, he's a pretty good one, I would say, in terms of, you know, if you look at the guys in the top 10, uh, how they project based, again, on the stats only part of it, uh, the guys in the top 10 in the draft, you know, it goes, uh, it's Simmons and Bender at the top, then Ingram, and then Murray uh, is next of those guys. So he's probably the closest thing I would say there is to a consensus between the stats and the scouts after those top three, with the, the possible exception of Jakob Pertl. By the way, I like the fact that that big truck just drove by and made noise because it kind of backs up the, the visual of the ESPN stat geek living in his mother's basement with the window <laughs> open and the big truck driving by. Right? Like, I mean, just I just want to make sure everyone got that right there. Okay. Um, we, we all know the truth on Pelton that he's now like a Belltown, Seattle. Actually, Belltown's out now in Seattle. He's probably living, you know, in Paul Allen's new little town, South Lake Union, on the top of some. You know, he's a big guy. He's a big guy. All right. Uh, nine through question mark, question mark, question mark, 30, 25. I don't really know. Uh, I, I, I kind of feel like maybe 24 is kind of my new number there where this is all in flux uh, of that next tier of players, which are the numbers, which are the ones that the, if you're the general manager is coming to Kevin Pelton, as they once did, uh, that you would say, you know what, this, this guy's the real deal numbers wise. You know, I think there's a few guys that uh, that are solid in that group. Uh, Ante Zizic, I, I forget now how Chad pronounced it when he, uh, when he right. got that correct earlier today. But, uh, he, you know, he's someone who looks pretty good. And I think in that same tradition of international big men who have projected well recently, played in the same league is Nikola Jokic and Yusuf Nurkic. And, you know, not quite as... Uh, not quite as stellar projections as they had, but uh, very solid in his own right. Uh, Wade Baldwin is someone who, you know, last year he uh, he popped on my radar screen. Uh, someone mentioned how well he projected, and this was before, you know, I think he was really even on NBA scouts' radars. I, I remember uh, Chad and I used to do like a sleeper of the week in our, our back-and-forth columns, and I brought him up and, you know, Chad went to, to the NBA folks and didn't get a lot of response on him, and then all of a sudden he blew up and became a first-round pick uh, with his performance last year in one of the sneaker camps. And uh, Jakob Pertl, as I mentioned, he looks like one of the, the safer picks from a skill standpoint in this draft in terms of you know all the statistical projections are pretty equally enamored of him. I, I think the only risk on him is just kind of whether the game is drifty away from what he does and what he can do. And uh, then the other guy who, you know, I'm not sure he's even in this tier 
uh, on most draft boards, but he seems to maybe have played his way into it with workouts, is Juan Hernan Gomez, uh, who is the younger brother of Vili Hernan Gomez, second-round pick by the, the Knicks last year, and a stretch four who rebounds it really well. Kind of kind of maybe a Ryan Anderson type, maybe not quite at that level of a shooter, especially yet, but you know, 20 years old and, and played pretty competently last year in DACB, which is the best individual in domestic league in the world outside the NBA. Let's dig back into Zizic for a second. Uh, if that's how Ante Zizic, if that's how we're pronouncing it, or if I've gotten it wrong, I apologize. Uh, I mean, this is really interesting because I mean, he's six ten. He's two forty. There's not a lot of stretch to him. He's kind of a big, burly guy. The comps that you talk about are Zaza Pachulia or uh, Jonas Valanciunas on the high side, and yet the, that doesn't seem to match where the game's going. So why why does this seem to work for your number projections on him? You know, I think I think that's the one one of the difficult things to do in the projection system is to to kind of match that because of the fact that you know we have to go based on what's happened or in the past. In my case, you know, the translations are based over you know the last five or six years, but uh, specifically what you know is showing up well for him in particular his efficiency as a scorer, a guy who you know projects is a fifty three percent two point shooter in the NBA and then also a, a very solid free throw shooter. So you know he ends up with one of the higher projected true shooting percentages of anyone. Him and him and Pertle are right up there among the uh, the guys in the lottery in terms of that projection. One thing I really believe in right now is that you have to have five guys who can pass. Um and I believe Pirtle's a very good passer. Is there any numerical information that backs up which of these guys can pass or not pass? Pirtle is, you know, solidly above average for a center. It comes out as a strength for him. With Zizic, it's neither a strength nor a weakness. All right. Uh, of that same group, which would you be very uh, cautious of? Um, you know, if we consider DeJounte Murray in that group, I think uh, his, his inefficiency as a scorer as a freshman, you know, not quite as, uh, as bad as Jalen Brown's projection-wise. He doesn't kind of fall below that, that uh, cliff where it's hard to get out of, but he's not far from it. And, and uh, you know, I think that people are projecting a lot of improvement for him. He, he certainly, you know, can do it. I think he's, he's jumper is not broken and has the ability to come around, but he's going to need to, to put in the work to develop that to, to become a quality NBA player. Uh, Skull Labissier, uh, you know, very, another very similar story to these guys. Someone that I loved when we saw him at the Nike Hoop Summit last year. I thought he was the best prospect there ahead of Ben Simmons, but he, you know, other than maybe a couple of games at Kentucky, uh, flashes of it did not show that over the course of the season and just has, you know, huge, huge weaknesses in his projections uh, in terms of his, you know, rebounding in particular. Um, and, and then also, you know, not a very good steal rate, which has historically been an issue. So he, he's someone that I think would be a little bit of a concern. And then Malachi Richardson, a guy who's a late riser, uh, not who was not on you know draft boards really at all a couple months ago. Nobody thought he was going to enter the draft before he had a really strong NCAA tournament. You know his his numbers aren't his projections aren't terrible, but uh, certainly not what you'd expect of a potential lottery pick. Didn't he shoot below forty percent from two? Yeah, I mean I think there was uh, three. Uh, Jonathan Giovanni had a post the other day about how I think there are three guys who could go get drafted this year, who shot under 40%, and the list of players who had done that in the past is not real strong. I know Fred Van Vliet, who actually my projections like a lot, was one of those. He had shot much better in the past. Richardson, obviously no, no such track record. All right, you just mentioned Fred Van 
Vliet, that's one of the players you were going to mention in my next question. Uh, over the years, whether it was Rondo as a 19th pick, uh, if I remember correctly, Andre Robertson out of Oklahoma City was a guy you really liked. Uh, who are the second round, maybe even you know late, late first round guys who you have your numbers have an affinity for? Well, Vinsley, like you said, is is certainly at the top of that list on the stats only projections. He actually comes out third, which is you know really kind of stunning uh, given the fact that you know he's not someone who's getting a lot of NBA buzz right now, but has the best projected assist to turnover rate of anyone in my database. And uh, another thing that helps him, he's kind of the opposite of uh, the late bloomer that we talked about where, you know, he's coming off his, you know, probably his worst season of his last three years was his senior year where he dealt with some injuries. And I think that's part of what, you know, has knocked him off of uh, the scouts' radars. But historically, if you look at it, guys that have down final years before they get drafted, I think that's actually, you know, tends to hurt their draft stock a little too much. Uh, one of the best examples of this that I, I point to sometimes is uh, Chris Middleton, who slipped to the second round after he had a really bad junior year but declared anyway, had been much better as a sophomore and then obviously has become a, a really nice NBA player. You know, I don't know if he's going to end up in the second round, but uh, Zhou Kui, uh, the the 7-1 power forward from China, is a really interesting player statistically. If If he's 20... He has the best statistical projection of anyone because of the fact that he was, you know, really good, uh, especially two years ago when he was age 19 based on his given date of birth uh, in the Chinese league and, you know, phenomenal shot blocker there as well as a high percentage finisher. And then you see the skill that he can step away from the basket and shoot. Uh, obviously some questions about his age and, and that would have a big impact on his projection but you know even even if he is in fact older than the listed 20 still probably a good pick late in the first round I, I would say um, and then you know my my personal favorite player in the draft I, I probably am obligated to mention him here is uh, Gary Payton II out of Oregon State and uh, I was running through this when I was doing my rankings last week for, for ESPN Insider and I didn't realize quite how good this was he has I believe the second best projected steal rate of anyone in my database, which goes back uh, through 2005 for the most part, uh, the best defensive rebound percentage for any point guard, and the best block percentage for any point guard in my database. So, you know, some questions about what he does offensively, but defensively, I think he has the potential to be a stud. Who do you think he is? I, you know, I've I've gone back and forth on him. I at one point I was thinking kind of like Kent Bazemore if he had gone the point guard direction when they were when the Warriors were trying to make him a point guard instead of becoming a wing like he did in Atlanta. That that was one example. Bazemore's a little bigger than he is. I mean, uh, Eric Snow to go back to a guy who played with his dad backed him up in, in Seattle. I think that's kind of the Eric Snow or Watson that kind of point guard. Interesting. Uh, fi- uh, two things left for Kevin Pelton. You can follow him. What is your Twitter? You didn't change it, did you? You're just at K Pelton, aren't you? Just at K Pelton, yeah. yeah. Uh, at K Pelton. Uh, so I think something interesting, We and there may not be any, this is a gut feeling, so I might be wrong on this, but my gut feeling is that we talk about these four-year seniors who didn't perform uh, well early in their careers and they get drafted. I, I kind of think Kaminsky, who you didn't really feel is going to be one, will fit into that list, if we given the list. But then at the same time, when we get into the second round, I feel like the four-year player the Norman Powells of the world are the ones who exceed expectations early in their career. Is there any truth to that? And if so, why? Yeah, I heard that thought the other day. Uh, I was out running and listening to the podcast, and that made me kind of stop and think a little bit. Hmm, like, do we need to, should I be projecting guys differently in, 
you know, different stages of the draft because of the fact that, you know, if you're picking someone 40th, what they're going to be in five years, which is, you know, part of the warp projections, it's basically projecting your average performance over the first five years. And there is a factor that weights earlier seasons more than later seasons so that it does reward guys for contributing immediately. But maybe, you know, we're not putting much, enough emphasis on uh, the projection for the first season and too much emphasis for the age at some point. So it, it's, Certainly an interesting theory, and I think you know one that would tend to favor you know guys like uh, Peyton, who's already 23, I think maybe almost 24. Uh, another person who jumps to mind in that kind of category is uh, Jameel Warney, who's kind of the classic undersized power forward in this year's class. I think his number one uh, statistical comp is to Trevor Booker, and uh, a guy who played at you know mid-major level of competition, so not many people were following and. You know, uh, he's six foot eight and really has more of the skills of a center than a power forward, although he can pass the ball a little bit, but a very productive player and kind of in that mold that historically has provided some of the surprises in the draft. All right, and our uh, final one I have for you is just an international player who, because your numbers have been more successful internationally than some others, I wanted your thoughts on, uh, and that is Furkan Korkmaz, uh, who we have not mentioned and is sitting in the middle of this first round, I think is an interesting player. He is, yeah. He was someone who, uh, you know, if you look at his offensive statistics, I think looks like a terrific pick. Uh, the fact that he's not yet 19 and was playing some EuroLeague minutes and then also heavy minutes in the uh, the Turkish league and more than wholly his own offensively. He projects as a pretty good three-point shooter in the NBA, uh, a guy who can make some plays as a passer as well from the shooting guard position. So all of that looks really good. The concern is his defensive stats where you know, I, I'm not sure the. Uh, I think he had about one steal for every hundred minutes he played in Turkey, and then you know maybe a, a couple of blocks all season, and that's what uh, raises some some significant concerns to me because you know generally that's kind of an indicator of guys who are first off athletically capable of keeping up defensively, and then also kind of engaged at the defensive end. And you know when players don't have uh, good steal rates, it's it's often a major concern for their ability defensively. All right, so in conclusion, if you were the general manager of all 30 NBA teams, you would stun the league and take Bender over Ingram at two? Well, it's interesting you ask because uh, the piece I just finished that may be up by the time this is posted is a mock draft. I, I did my version of Chad's grade A mock draft that he does every year where I make the picks for everyone. And so tell me, uh, without giving away that whole article, or are you just not going to? Was that a tease right there that you're not answering my question? <laughs> I, I may tease you on that one. Do you, do you want to know who the Jazz picked? Though? Yes, how about that? You give me the Jazz pick. Actually, I have a final Jazz thing here for you in a second. But what is your, what is your Jazz pick? So I, I deliberated a lot between Denzel Valentine and Wade Baldwin and ended up going with Wade Baldwin. Oh, I like Wade Baldwin a lot. All right, well, that leads us to this final bit with Kevin Pelton. Baldwin or Murray? It's the, ja- it's the Jazz draft bracket. Cork- yep. uh, Corkman or Valentine? Valentine. Sabonis or Davis? Sabonis. Jakob Pertl or, Ellens- or Ellenson? Pertl. All right, second round. Baldwin versus Valentine. You just said Baldwin. Yeah, Baldwin. Sabonis versus Pertl. Ooh, I Pirtle. Pirtle versus Baldwin, which I actually think very well may be the decision the Jazz make. 
Uh, I, I, think there's a, I think there's a really high chance that this is the exact decision the Jazz front office will be making on Thursday night, uh, which knowing the Jazz front office they will make before Thursday night. They don't really lead themselves to being in a position where they have to make that last-second decision. But I, I really feel like this is the exact decision. I actually think Cork Moz could be the other guy in this conversation. Um, but what's, uh, what would be the call from Kevin? Dennis Lindsay has called Kevin Pelton and said, who do I do, Baldwin or Pirtle? That's a tough one because I feel like in this case you are balancing a little bit. You know, Baldwin, Pirtle fills a clear need for you as a fourth big man, I think, but his, his progress is limited because you can't ever play him and Rudy Gobert together. It feels like Baldwin, you could, if he hits, play him with Dante Exum. You could play him with all of the different wings and have a little more flexibility with that. So I'd probably lean Baldwin from that standpoint. I, I also think Zuzic is, you know, an interesting possibility there. He, both Zuzic and, and Pirtle were off the board. They were the previous two picks in, in the grade A mock draft. If I had included Zizic in this uh, bracket, which I did not, uh, would he beat Pirtle? <sighs> no, I think Pirtle would still beat him. Kevin Pelton, great work. Keep it up. Follow him on Twitter at, at K Pelton. What else on Insider should people look at for in the next day or two? Uh, that would be the main thing. Then uh, maybe some trade pieces. I think Chad and I have a uh, back and forth coming out on the international prospects. Uh, focusing on them. So uh, plenty of content, though. Look forward to it. Thanks, KP. Thank you. This has been a production of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make sure you check out the other ones. Bulls fans, the new Locked On Bulls is out. Subscribe to that. Magic fans, Locked On Magic. Pelican fans, Brett Dawson is coming with Locked On Pelicans as well. And new and more Locked On Podcasts are all coming from the Locked On Podcast Network. And you can find me daily at Locked On Jazz.